0: Coming up next, it's all things computed with point-and-click radio, the computer show.
1: Surviving power outages, how to keep your computer on. Watching the weather, websites and apps we like. And we talk to an expert about the latest hype in artificial intelligence. That's all coming up on point-and-click radio. Good evening everybody and welcome to Point and Click Radio. This is the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, the place where we answer your computer questions and bring you the latest computer and internet news. I'm Jim Hyde. And I'm Toby Molina at the Point and Click Research Desk. And Bob Lawton has the night off and this show is pre-recorded so we will not be taking calls tonight. But we do want to welcome you to our first show of 2023 and what a month we've had so far. One of the wettest and stormiest in recent memory. It's been a great time to be a pond or a well or a frog, but not such a great time to be a tall tree, a motorist or a telephone pole. We've had power outages aplenty in the latest series of storms and power outages and computers don't really get along. We're going to start off talking about that how to keep your computer and electronics safe and protected during wild winter weather. And while we're talking about the weather, we're going to talk about some great online resources for monitoring the storms, including a website and mobile app that we haven't talked about on the show before. After we talk about the weather, we'll turn to something that's been in the news a lot lately, artificial intelligence. There's a flavor of AI that's getting a lot of attention. It's called generative AI, And it makes it incredibly easy to create images and even text content. Maybe you've played with it. There are a lot of free websites and apps that let you experiment. It's controversial in some ways and I recently spoke with an expert to get some insights on the hype. We'll hear that in the latter part of the show, but let's start out with power and let's start by covering the ways that things can go wrong when it comes to power. The most obvious is the outage. That's when the lights go out. The power goes out, and you're dark. The second is what's called a sag. And that often happens, not even during stormy weather, but more commonly when some high amperage or high wattage device comes on in your house. Maybe the dryer turns on, and it's on the same circuit as your computer, um, and you see the lights dim briefly. The third flavor of, of power problem is the brownout. And that does happen in storms oftentimes. Maybe a tree a limb brushes across a power line or there's an outage somewhere else on the grid and the circuit you're on is affected. And you get what they sometimes call partial voltage where the, dar- the lights don't go out, but they go dim. Um, that can obviously cause problems with, with computers and also with appliances like electric motors. And then finally, there are surges. Um, They're sometimes also called transients, and that is a spike in the power. When the power goes above the normal 120 volts or so that is supposed to be in your wall outlet, that can fry equipment. That and happened to
0: us recently. That's Yeah, it did. Yeah. It, we had a neighbor who uh, well, it was a lightning strike that we're, we're told. Yeah, just a couple of a couple of weeks ago, blew out a bunch of transformers, blew out an, a neighbor's smart meter. A neighbor's smart meter. I mean, literally blew up. There were pieces of it scattered around her yard. And what we didn't realize was that ours was blown up as well. It was just less apparent. Yes. You need to look inside it, to it, see it, the burn marks. It did die of internal injuries, <laughs> but it took it uh, it killed our car charger.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah, that's and, and that can happen when transformers go out and basically when the weather is wild, wild things can happen to the power aside from just simply going out entirely. And the best thing you can do is to put something in between your computer and the grid. And that is an uh, an add-on called an uninterruptible power supply, or UPS, not to be confused with the brown trucks that bring biscuits to your dogs. A UPS is a battery that's always charged and a circuit called an inverter that turns the battery's voltage into the same kind of AC current that your wall outlets provide. When there's a power outage, the UPS kicks in pretty much instantly, providing power from the battery and giving you anywhere from five to 15 minutes of time to save your work and shut your computer down safely.
0: And that really is the point of the UPS, is not that sudden loss, potentially, of data. And right. really, it's for, it's for people to spend that kind of money. It's for people who may be working on something. And if your computer, you know, if you're working on a laptop, it's charged. Right, you don't need it's unless, one. It's not going to just snap off. Right. Um, when the
1: power, In a way, a, a laptop has its own UPS. Right, unless
0: you have a laptop that's old and the battery doesn't stay charged and you have to have True. it plugged in. Um, and if you lose power, it will die as well. Um, really, UPS is when you want to give yourself 5 to 15 minutes to get it together and shut things down wisely. You don't need that with a laptop, no. uh, theoretically, if it's well charged because you've got that time. In fact... You probably have a little bit more time to watch a couple TV shows if you want to (laughs) while the power is out. But this is really, if you're working on desktop machines, um, equipment that doesn't have its own independent battery. Um, So you can shut down, save your work, um, shut down the machine uh, in the accepted way to do so without it having just to snap off.
1: And and that's an important point. It's not even just like, hey, I was working on a Word document and I lost it because the power went out. But when you shut down a computer using the shutdown command, the operating system, whether it's Windows or Mac OS... It kind of does some internal housekeeping, and it, it it goes to sleep with a nice... It's the difference between going to sleep with your head on a pillow and getting conked over the head. <laughs> it's a safer way to sleep. Right. Um, so that extra time to safely shut down is important.
0: Also, if you have an external hard drive attached and you just shut down, yeah. you can do damage to the drive. You could lose information. You could be copying in the middle of copying something over. Uh, when something untoward happens and you lose your power. So spending that kind of money on uh, a UPS makes sense uh, for a machine that doesn't have independent battery, for a non-laptop machine.
1: So as far as UPSs go, there are a lot that are on the market?
0: We've been buying them pretty much from APC, a company called APC. It's been around a long time. It started as American Power Conversion and then shortened it to APC. <laughs> uh, but other companies like Triplight also make them. Uh, for one, that will power a desktop computer and a couple of add-ons um, figure about $250. Uh, generally, the more stuff you want to power, the more you'll need to spend, uh, since you'll need a UPS that can handle the wattage. The APC website has some great guides to help you pick the right one. And I'm sure every vendor does as well to help you figure out how much you need. One tip when you're shopping, look for a UPS that provides what's called sine wave output. Sine wave output? Without going into all the techie, nerdy details... That just means the juice it provides is the kind the computers and their power supplies like. And they're a little
1: more, they're a little more, expensive, a little bit more expensive than a non-sine wave. You'll see some that'll say, um, stepped wave that simulates sine wave. And most power supplies these days are kind of okay to handle those. But if you're going to invest in one, it doesn't cost that much to get one that provides real sine wave output.
0: So one other thing also to keep in mind is that you'll eventually, like all batteries, you'll eventually have to replace the battery in the UPS. Ah, right. um, They eventually run out of juice. They get old. Sure. Um, And it's easy to do, but you'll need to buy it. You go back to the vendor you bought it from, they will have replacement batteries. You'll be stunned by how heavy they are. <laughs> yeah. They arrive and you, you receive the package. You're like, what is in here? <laughs> exactly. It's just a block. Uh, so, to, you know, it's worth it. Um, it's, it is an investment, um, but they really have saved our bacon on any number of occasions. And when the power goes out, you'll hear them. They'll make a sound that'll tell you right. that they are working, a high-pitched and unpleasant squeal. <laughs> but it tells you that they're working. Um, and then you'll know to go to where that UPS is and shut down the things that it is powering. And then you can reset the UPS so it will stop squealing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and some of them, um, including a lot of the ones from APC, include software. I've actually never used this. I do not know if either. Where, like, say that you're, you're away from your desk and you're out running an errand or you're taking the dog for a walk and the power goes out and the UPS kicks in, but it's only giving you about five minutes of power, and you're going to be away for 10 minutes. What's going to happen? Well, your computer's going to go dark, and not in the good way. A lot of UPSs have a software program that comes with them that you will install on your computer, where if the power goes out, the UPS detects it, and it runs this program, and it causes the computer to shut it down, shut itself down automatically, so that even if you're away, It shuts down safely. (laughs) And as you just heard, ladies and gentlemen, neither Toby nor I have (laughs) ever installed that software, probably because we're never really away from our computers. It's kind of pathetic, but there it is.
0: (laughs) And one last piece of old school wisdom, when the weather and the power get wonky unplug things. Yeah, that's true. It just is instead of spending all of this money on surge protectors, obviously we're not all home all the time, but if you're home and it's been like this and you see the power is flickering or you know, you turn to each other in your easy chairs because <laughs> the power just seemed like it was about to go out, go ahead and unplug stuff that you're worried about. Um it's just easier than having it fry.
1: And that can especially be the case when we get those rare thunderstorms in this part of the world because, yeah, there's no better way to protect your computer or any device or appliance from things that could go wrong on the grid than disconnecting it from the grid. Yeah, so there's some advice for keeping your computer powered and protected when the raindrops are falling. One of my favorite activities when the weather is wonky is monitoring it using a variety of online resources. Provided, of course, that our power is on or that my phone is charged up and I have a way to get on the internet. There are a lot of great resources for keeping track of road closures in the area and keeping track of the weather and learning about the weather and learning about what might be happening in the weather in the weeks to come. Uh, The first is, of course, the Caltrans uh, road information uh, site, which um, just go to the search engine of your choice and type road closure info uh, or a similar query, and you'll get right to it. Um, You enter a route number And you can then, uh, and then it will report back on whether or not there is a closure uh, for that particular route in our area.
0: And one of the things I would say is that Caltrans does their best, I'm sure, to keep that current, but it is often behind the times. So very often, you know, as we all do, there are local um, resources, like any groups you might belong to on Facebook. Yeah. We belong to an Albion group on Facebook. Um, where people are frequently reporting, taking pictures, so Facebook or the Listserv or any place where you get your local information uh, is a great resource uh, to ask other others next door is another one right um, where people are often reporting firsthand um, what's going on that that's that's just a great I find those are great resources to find out what's happening in the moment.
1: And Caltrans also has a toll-free number that you can call to get highway conditions where you just type on your on your phone's keypad the, the, the route you're looking for. That phone number, if you'd like to write it down, don't do this if you're currently behind the wheel, is 1-800-427-7623. That's 1-800-427-7623. But again, if you go to uh, the, um, the, the search engine of your choice and just type caltan's road conditions you will, uh, you'll 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 get you'll get all of those links that we just mentioned we have often talked about Wonderground. Wonderground.com, that's w and then the word underground as in weather underground wunderground.com uh, is a great website for getting local and and international weather information forecasts current conditions alerts and all of that they also have a fantastic free app for all the mobile devices, Apple and Android alike, and they tap into this really interesting network that any of us can participate in of personal weather stations, over a quarter of a million of them around the world, a lot of different weather stations that you can buy will automatically connect to weather underground and transmit the data so that you can get really great detailed microclimate level um, weather conditions. Because that's a big thing on the, on the coast or on the, in this county, in this part of the world, as everyone knows. It can be completely different weather, um, just a matter of a few miles apart. And so the personal weather station, you can, which you can set up on your own, you can read about them on Wonderground.com, uh, is a really, really nice way to uh, to to keep tabs on the weather.
0: And it's available in both uh, both Apple and Android platforms. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to salute. Oh the, yeah. The demise of my very favorite weather app, which was Dark Sky. That was a nice one. It was my favorite. Very simple, vertical orientation, showed you what the rain was going to be like throughout the day. I loved that app. Um, Unfortunately, Apple bought it, and they sunsetted the app on January 1st of this year. Uh, They rolled some of the functionality into their own Apple weather app that comes on every iPhone. Right, right. But it's not the same. It's not the same at all.
1: Yeah, the weather app that is built into the
0: phone that comes with iOS has gotten a lot better over the years. But the simplicity of dark sky is what I liked so much. It told you when it was about to stop raining, it told you when it was about to stop raining. And it was shockingly accurate. Yeah, it really was great. It just is, is a sad, sad day for weather nerds.
1: But just as you, you've switched over to Wonderground, right? The Wonderground app.
0: I've always had the Wonderground app. Yeah. But my dark sky was my, is it going to rain in five minutes? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, Sigh.
1: well, there's another app that I discovered, um, thanks to a friend, that was really um, relevant during this latest crazy windy bout of storms. And that is an app called and a website called Windy, windy.com. Um, there's a related, there's a website that you can go to with your laptop or your desktop or your mobile device on your browser. You can go to windy.com, but you can also download the free app again, available for Apple devices and Android devices, um, for windy. And it is a weather app that is, that does kind of rain forecasting and that sort of thing and temperature conditions, but it's really kind of focused on the wind, it displays when you launch it, or when you go to windy.com, it'll ask for your permission to use uh, you know, your current location so that it can display a relevant map. And then it displays these really cool little animated arrows that show what direction the wind is, is, is coming from. And with the bomb cyclone that hit um, last week, you could very clearly see the cyclonic shape of the storm as it approached the coast. And there's, there are cool little nuances to the app where if the little arrows are much closer together, then the wind speed is higher. Uh, and it's, it's just a really fascinating way to, um, to, to, to monitor wind speed. And it really visually shows why the wind comes out of the south and southeast when storms typically hit our area. So um, windy.com, wonderground.com, and their related apps are, uh, are, are the kind of the go-to tools that, that we use here at Point and Click Central. And then finally, if you're a real weather nerd and you know who you are, I encourage you to check out a website called weatherwest.com weatherwest.com. It is written and maintained by Daniel Swain, who is a PhD climate scientist at UCLA. And it is a fascinating, really geekier than I can comprehend most of the time, um, look at weather, upcoming weather. He also links there to his Twitter feed. Yet yeah, there's still some good reasons to go to Twitter, if you must, where he provides more timely, up-to-date, um, up-to-the-minute and comes, in some cases, um, information about the weather. Weatherwest.com.
2: You'll open your umbrella. We'll walk between the raindrops. Back to your
1: door. Walk between the raindrops.
2: Between the raindrops. Walk between the raindrops. Back to
1: your You're listening to Point and Click Radio, the bi weekly computer show here on KZYX. Yours truly, Jim Hyde, along with Toby Molina at the Point and Click Research Desk.
2: We'll walk between the
1: raindrops to your door. If you've been following the news in business and tech, you know that 2022 was not the best year in the tech world. A lot of companies laid off employees. The cryptocurrency world crashed and burned, social networks came under fire for everything from privacy violations to, well, being owned by Elon Musk. But what did seem to be a bright spot was the area of artificial intelligence. Last year marked a new era in AI. For better or worse, AI has been influencing our lives in a lot of behind the scenes ways for a while now, recommending what we should watch on Netflix or YouTube next determining what our insurance rates should be, determining what posts we should see on social networks. But in 2022, we began seeing a new kind of AI application, tools that enable anyone, any of us, to use AI to create content, images, videos, text, usually by typing short text prompts, like photo of a panda bear riding a motorcycle. It's called generative artificial intelligence because it wouldn't be a technology if it didn't have a lot of syllables in it, but whatever you call it, it's attracted huge amounts of attention in the last several months and a whole lot of investor dollars. In the tech world, it's the gold rush du jour. But is it really such a bright spot? I will admit to being amazed and excited about some aspects of it, but yes, there are issues. And here to talk with us about some of them is Morton Rand Hendrickson. He's a friend and colleague and a senior staff instructor at LinkedIn Learning. And he's written and lectured a great deal about topics regarding ethics in technology and these days, artificial intelligence. Morton, welcome to Point and Click Radio. Thank you for having me. So there's so much to talk about surrounding this stuff. Let's begin by giving our listeners a foundation to build on. Right now, the two shiny objects in AI are image generation and text generation, correct? Mm -hmm.
2: In the latter half of 2022, we suddenly got this massive influx of these new tools that were very, very powerful. And uh, especially people on social media started talking about them and using them because they could see that, hey, this makes my job easier. Hmm. Um, And that started this massive snowball that we're now seeing go full speed down the hill um there there's these tools like like you said in the intro nothing is new here these tools have been around for a long time what's new is that we now have direct access to the tools themselves so we're not talking to a service that may generate something for us we're talking directly to this so-called ai that would that we can instruct right um so the uh, for the image generation you could think of it instead of going to a service like iStock photo to get an image right. you could go to an API that connects to a, to an AI and say, give me an image of uh, two business people shaking hands. And then it would generate an image that doesn't that that is not a stock photo that no one has the rights to that you could use in an article. And a then, photo that was
1: never actually taken.
2: Yes. Uh, and then when you're on the other end of that, and you're saying, I want to write an article about uh, common business practices in Northern Europe, you could go into one of these chat APIs and say, give me 10 points, 10 important points about doing business in Northern Europe. And it would generate a list for you of 10 points that are things that sound relevant about doing business in Northern Europe. And then you can use that as your starting point for writing an article, right? Or just publish it as is with your AI-generated photo. And that's kind (laughs) of where the whole conversation starts, right? It's all just machine-generated.
1: Well, and and that's a huge point. And and when you said so-called AI uh, a minute ago, that's really important, too, because as we've talked about when when we had you on the show once before last year, um, there is no actual intelligence here. These are algorithms that are trained by looking at, by studying huge amounts of data across the Internet, whether those are images that have captions associated with them so that over time, the AI starts to understand what a dog is, quote unquote, understand. Mm-hmm. Um, or same thing with the with the with the chat the text generation um AIs. They've just read so many Wikipedia articles and blog posts and web postings and everything other every other web page they can get their artificial hands on, um, <laughs> that they can appear to spit out intelligent or at least seemingly accurate text mm-hmm. information. And the seemingly part is a big thing that I know we're, we're going to uh, touch on in a little, in a little bit. They are, you know, if you've never used, I'm talking to our listeners here. If you've never used one of these tools, they're kind of mind blowing the first time you do. Um, you know, we, we've talked about Dolly before D-A-L-L-E um, from open AI, uh, which is one of the most popular of the uh, image generation AIs where you can type a phrase. You can imagine a, a, a basically anything that you want um a black and white photo an oil painting of whatever subject within reason there are some filters that relate to public figures and um topics that we can't discuss on a a family-oriented radio show Uh um but um you twiddle your thumbs for 20 to 30 seconds and up come four images that depict more or less what you typed you can then go in and refine them if you like, um, and there are a few other uh, similar technologies that, that work basically under the hood um, pretty pretty similarly. And with the with the Chat GPT tool, which is the the shiny object in the text generation world. It's the same except for text. You can mm-hmm. say, you know, who is Morton Rand Hendrickson is a good example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or give me ten points about doing business in in Northern Europe, as you said, and and a passage of text will come out um, with, uh, well, with no typos generally, but not necessarily accurate. So they're kind of just incredible to use. You really you, and they are to your point. They're kind of one of the first, or they're they're the first public facing, as we kind of Mm -hmm. say in the tech world, public facing applications of AI, where you can directly kind of reach in there and say, give me something based on all of that scraping of the web um, and the internet that you've done. And it's really easy to just kind of be smitten by it at first and say, wow, this is incredible. This is the future. If you're an artist, it can be kind of terrifying because yeah. there's an angle of well is this going to take my job away and there's an angle to that i know you've written about too i think i think is really interesting um, and i think it's that shiny object that initial impression of wow this is mind-blowing that has gotten so many people saying squirrel <laughs> with, the, yeah. with the dog out the window looking out the
2: window yeah there's something about. AIs that's very similar to when you're walking down a street and you turn your head slightly and you see yourself in the window right you see your reflection yeah. and you can't you can't help but look right it's it's this instinctive thing when you see a reflection of yourself you automatically get drawn to it and what these machines that we've chosen to call AIs are doing is just reflecting ourselves back.
1: Mm. Um,
2: And it's really important to understand that the term artificial intelligence is a marketing term because there's nothing intelligent there. There is no intelligence whatsoever. Um, When we talk about artificial intelligence in a science fiction sense, what we're talking about is so-called generalized artificial intelligence, meaning a thing that was artificially generated that thinks like a human being that has its own ideas, that has its own reflective values, that can have opinions about its own opinions, Mm -hmm. um, that can have feelings about its own feelings, that is intelligent and conscious and a being in its own right. What we have now are regurgitation machines that uh, look at patterns in the data we feed them. And then when we prompt them to give us back some data, it'll just fall down a decision tree and say, generally speaking, when people say these things, what they want as an output are these things. We'll make something that looks like that, right? And But there is no intelligence behind it. There's no intent behind it. There's no, weirdly for me to say, but there is no politics behind the actual output itself. Um, the intent and the thinking and the politics and the design all happens in construction of the algorithm that powers them there's nothing original in anything it produces and there's also no comprehension of what it's doing right um which leads to uh, which puts us in a very awkward position of this um what is it called like the uncanny valley of your you feel like you're talking to a person except there's no person there yeah, and is. you the person the thing that appears to be a person is super confident about its information But there is no actual thinking going on there. So when you're asking it a question, you're not getting an answer that someone thought through. You're just getting a mathematical equation of when people ask questions like this, the types of answers we generally get are this kind of answers. And here's an example of that.
1: Yeah. And and, and because these so-called AIs are trained on content that humans created and published, um, they are often subject to the same biases that we mm-hmm. humans are um, in the in the imaging world. There's been a lot of well populous, publicized um, a discussion of, of biases when it comes to um, races and ethnicities. You know, I, I was doing some playing around with uh, mid journey last week, which is another one of the uh, generative AI uh, image generation tools. And I did a few variations of the prompt, uh, father and son playing with a toy train. Mm-hmm. And in every case it was a white male and a white boy. And it was, had a very kind of courier and Ives, you know, Lionel train ad from the 1950s kind of vibe to it. Um, I did other, uh, um, prompts where, you know, a photograph of a laborer and it was a person of color photograph of a, of a lawyer. And in that case mm-hmm. it did give me a couple of persons of color, um, but you can if you if you do more and more of those asking for certain types of jobs or certain types of scenarios you will often see the kinds of biases that are reflected in in the real world and when you think about generating text that's that's in some ways even scarier because there's a lot of biased text out there on on the internet
2: the the problem of ai bias has been known for As long as we've been working with machine learning models, because when we started feeding data into machines and asking the machines to produce, um, summaries of the data, right. right, And observe things within the data that we don't see what the machines came back with was bias to the point where I I've said this many times and I am continuously amazed that this doesn't happen, that people don't use AI specifically to highlight bias like they are bias detecting machines so we should use a these machine learning algorithms should actually be set up to highlight the bias they should be like you ask it a question and it'll come back this is how the bias shapes itself in the data you currently gave me Mm -hmm. Um, because they're fantastic at amplifying bias uh, because of how they work right and what we're then and then you can think like what type what type of text if you're working with text or what kind of images are fed into these machines, but it's whatever is the most dominant content on the internet, which means mostly English speaking, mostly skewing towards Western cultures, mostly skewing within those Western cultures towards American style culture, mostly skewing white, male, heterosexual, basically the perceived default, right? right. Um, and within that, so then you get all of these systemic biases that we have in society today, amplified by a machine that people feel like is a a neutral arbiter. Mm -hmm. Because when people come to a tool like ChatGPT or to um, stable diffusion, they think of it as I'm just asking a machine to do something. So what the machine is doing, the machine doesn't have opinions and political leanings and biases. So therefore, what it tells me should be the truth. And in reality, it's n- n- not that at all. It's it's very much just an amalgamation of the biases that we have presented as if it is neutral. Um, so, yeah, all of these things are will produce biased output. And no matter how much the engineers that are working on it try to combat that bias, the reality is... The data sets that they use, these they're called corpus, the corpus of data that is being used is so gigantic that eliminating the bias from that, often when we don't even see the bias ourselves until Mm -hmm. we see them output from the machines, Mm -hmm. is almost impossible. So then you have to start this weighting process, right? Where you say, as part of the training of these... (laughs) All the terminology around all the stuff is wrong. There is no training. No one is yes. being trained. There is no learning happening, like machine learning algorithm. The only parts of that, this machine, and there's an algorithm. There's no learning happening. No one is training a machine to do anything. What we're doing is culling the data sets and culling the outputs. So, the way these um, machine learning algorithms work is you would give it a bunch of data. And then you would prompt a question to it. You'd say like, give me the summary of this data. And then it will give you the summary back. And then one of two things happens. Either you give it a set of correct answers and incorrect answers. And then you give the machine a point if it gets the correct answer and a minus point if it gets the wrong answer. And you tell it, try to get as many points as possible. And it gets to do the same exercise over and over again. And it'll quote unquote, learn over time. If you choose A, you get more points than B, therefore A is better. And then once you've done that a lot, you then move over to the second stage, which is you have a human being evaluating the responses. So you, the human being inputs a question and then a response comes back and the human being scores the response, high or low, right? So that means you have a, that bias in the data set, you have a bias in the training set, and you have a bias in the person doing the final training. And the only intercept point that we currently have is in that point system, that either the machine doing the point system or a human being evaluating the output. Um, But those are not complete, right? So it's a very, very big challenge. And because the main corpus that exists for images and for video and for audio and for data comes off the internet and the internet content tends towards certain things, then these machines get trained on those certain things, which is why if you look at, A large volume of images produced by for example stable diffusion or dolly what you'll notice over time is they have this ai quality to them Mm -hmm. totally there's this certain aesthetic that leaks out and you know they're different styles but you start being able to just intuitively recognize it right almost to the point where i want to like dive into robert pierceg and like uh, the metaphysics of quality like People cannot define what quality is, but they can point at it immediately. Right, 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 That's what we're getting at. There's this, when you see enough AI generated images, you start recognizing them for that to the point where there was a new story this weekend of an artist that got kicked out of some collective because his art looks so much like AI generated art that they didn't believe him when he said that he had made it himself. And it's crazy because when you look at the arts that he had submitted, you're like, that that has that AI aesthetic, right? There's some quality to it that feels like it was made by these machines. Yeah. But it also shows like there's a huge gray area there, but there's also definitely something in when we have this reductive way of producing content, which is basically take every existing element and reduce it down to some tendency and then output new content. You get, um, everything becomes more and more mundane and more and more boring, right? Mm-hmm. Over time, because it doesn't produce anything new. There is no yeah. ingenuity in it, no creation. It's just regurgitation.
1: Now, I do see some, some artists, and creative professionals who are using these tools to um, <clears throat> kind of help with the, 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 the brainstorming process, mm-hmm. the ideation process, you know, they might, you know, give me 10, 10, 10 logos with a, you know, uh, with a with a mid-century look to it and then maybe using that to base uh, a, a design on or uh, or an image or a character that they're designing for a game or something like that um, that seems like a potentially valuable use of AI imaging to me um, where yeah. not give me a stock photo or give me an image so i don't have to pay for a stock photo or hire a photographer but give me something that is a starting point to kind of help fuel my own ideation yeah
2: and and that is very much how in my opinion how we should be thinking about these things Um, as tools and materials Uh, there are two different things there so tools as in like if you're working in excel and you go (laughs) how do i do this formula that does this thing or you can explain what you want to do but the excel formula is going to be some cryptic mess right right. and you can go into excel and just type out what you want and then it'll just barf out the formula for it right or if you are um, writing an article about why a certain type of boat is better than another type of boat for a marketing campaign you can go in and say okay give me just like 10 things about boats and then you can start there or if you're an artist and you go hey i want to i'm doing a thing about cats Input cats get responses, start from there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a tool that helps you do things. Or you can, what I'm seeing artists do now, which is fascinating is they will do like, make an image, feed it into an AI and ask it to iterate on it right. and then take an image out, do work on it themselves, Take another picture of their image and feed it back into another maybe AI, have it iterate on it, come back and do more work, right? So it becomes that. But there's a substantial difference between that and creation, right? So this this, uh, conversation around will AI replace insert human creativity version number four is really not a meaningful conversation because there is no creation happening. They have to be separated. It's like AI won't replace anything. You know, uh, predatory bosses who don't want to spend money on paying expensive humans might replace someone. But that is a capitalism problem more than it is an AI problem, right? The decision making around should we relegate this human labor to a machine because it's cheaper or not? And that's a conversation we need to have as a society is how do these things fit into our lives and how do we, use them in productive ways that help us as people and build society rather than take jobs away from people and like plunge the already underpaid, lower um, lower social rung workers into further destitution because they can be replaced by a machine. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And, and
1: I think you you put it really well in, the, in a post that you wrote on LinkedIn, where you said uh, something to the effect that to, to the artist, Generative AI isn't going to take your job. Capitalism
2: might. But it's, it's. I mean, if you think about uh, when all these free or very low cost stock photo apps started appearing on the internet, right? Um, there was it had a significant impact on a specific market within the photographer market, right? It were the people that were doing stock photography type things because all of a sudden, instead of hiring a photographer to come in and take pictures of your office landscape, you just go download some random office landscape picture off the internet and just tweak it and then use it on your website, right? But the type of work that was taken away was what I call um, rote work, very low creativity work that you could imagine a machine being able to do like a repetitive task, something that is just, if you follow this formula, it'll be the same every time, right? The uh, cruise ship videographer who (laughs) shoots the exact same video every single time. So you can just dump the footage into a machine and the AI will just cut it together for you. You don't need to sit there and do the cutting. So it's basically just the AI is the new template, right? Um, But for anything that requires any type of human Ingenuity, creativity, lateral thinking, contextual understanding. Like there is zero contextual understanding in these things, right? There's so much that human beings can do that these things that we call AI absolutely cannot. And we this gives us an opportunity to start recognizing what is it humans contribute that humans only can contribute. And we can use this as an opportunity to really identify what makes human work and human creativity special and how do we value the humanness of that and then how can we take rote tasks that are time wasters and hand them over to a machine so people can do more of the work they enjoy more of the things right and that's when you come up against capitalism it's like capitalism doesn't want that capitalism wants the cheapest operator in a room so that someone else can earn more money so
1: yeah indeed most recently you wrote um about um well, we'll call it BS in, uh, in AI text generation, because yes. this is a radio program and there are certain words we can't say. Um, but the, the, the text, as we, as we talked about a little while ago, that, um, tools like, uh, chat GPT spit out look authoritative. Mm-hmm. They look like those are, those are sentences and paragraphs. Um, but there are very often, um, inaccuracies. you talk about, talk about, um, about your experience and what you uh, what you wrote about.
2: Yeah, um, I have a large online presence. Uh, I've been online for more than a decade, and I also have published a lot of things. So I know that like if you search for my name, things will show up in the search engines. Therefore, if you search my name in a machine trained on a corpus of the internet, I should show up. So, and I also have a very unique name. There's only one of me. So I went to ChatGPT and I said, "Who is Martin Rand Hendrickson?" <laughs> Right. And it came back with this bio type thing that was about 90 percent accurate and 10 percent very incorrect. Um, And it's there are a lot of people that have highlighted this, that these machines tend to be about 90 percent accurate, but 100 percent confident in everything they say. Um, (laughs) There's another famous example of a creator on YouTube who asked, um, what is the fastest sea animal? And it immediately responded, a bird. (laughs) <laughs> right because it is the fastest thing and it does go under the water you know it's the one that dive sure, bombs right, right? so birds. it does move very fast under the water but it is most definitely not a sea animal because it's a bird right? right and the context breaks there um and it got me thinking about this uh there's this famous book that's called and I will paraphrase here on bs that was written by a philosopher named harry frankfurt And what Frankfurt did was try to define the difference between humbug and BS and lying. Like, what is the difference between those two things? And it stems from, you know, this is a philosopher and philosophers tend to write re- recursive works off other people. So another philosopher write about humbug and then Frankfurt is like, no, we need to be more specific because humbug has humbug has a malicious intent, right? It has some form of, I'm going to trick someone. Whereas BS is just BS and BS is different from lying. Um, I'll see if I can find it here in the Wikipedia article because there's a good phrase that defines it. Um, so it says, The liar is viewed uh, viewed as being purposefully deceitful or harmful because of the accompanying intent behind the act. A liar knows the truth, but wants to convince you of the opposite of the truth. So there's an intent there. You want to deceive someone. Whereas producing BS requires no knowledge of the truth. The liar is intentionally avoiding the truth and the BSer may potentially be telling the truth or providing elements of the truth without intention of doing so, right? That that you're just like, and the the classic example is a child asks you a question you can't answer and you need to get out of the conversation. <laughs> so you give them some Possible answer that could potentially be right, but there's no reason for it to be right or wrong, and it doesn't matter in that circumstance. Or you know, when someone says, "Hey, do you know this person?" and you're like, "Sure," you don't (laughs) actually know them. But it's better to just say it's it's BS, right? It's it's, there's no intent of misleading anyone. It's just that, and these these so-called AIs, that is what they do. There is no intent. Behind them, right? There's no conscious being that you're talking to here. You're talking to an algorithm that just falls down a decision tree and gives you an output that looks like other things that similar outputs look like that it got higher points on in its training phase, right? So there's no intent behind it. And it'll present it as if it's truth, because when we write things and put them on the internet, we write them in a very authoritative way. And it's just reflecting our own writing back to us. It is the mirror we're looking at. So if we train the internet or we put content on the internet that's very authoritative, that is very uh, bombastic and strong in its language and is very confident. And then we tell the machine, this is how humans talk. Of course, it's going to do the same to us, right? Sure. And it's just going to say, when people ask questions that fall in this category over here, the general answers people want to hear is this. Right? right, and then it makes a weird connection where it says Morton works for LinkedIn and lives in Canada. LinkedIn Canada is in Toronto, so therefore he lives in Toronto, right? And that's wrong. But, that's but wrong. it'll say that's truth because it has no better data available, and it's like the this is a these two pieces fit together in the logic tree, right. so it's right. almost correct, but it's wrong.
1: And that's a scary thing when you think about this scaling out to thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of articles that seem authoritative, but mm-hmm. maybe aren't.
2: Yeah, I like, think uh, one of the first things that happened when, when ChatGPT was released to the public was a bunch of people immediately made the logical leap, which is this is better than Google, mm-hmm. right? Because when you go to Google, you can search for something and you get like a ton of ads, and then you get a bunch of index answers that are linked to websites. Whereas what ChatGPT will do is give you like a human language answer, right? Um, and the term better than Google, I, I interpret to mean when I ask Google a question, Google will give me a link to something and I have to go dig inside it to find it, right? Whereas when I ask ChatGPT, the same question will actually give me a human language answer that is sourced probably from the same place, but is more of a human language answer, right?
1: And there's no opportunity for you to, to to weigh in your own mind each of those links. This uh-huh. looks like an authoritative website, and it this doesn't one like say BS.
2: the source is. Right. It just says right, um, and uh, you can see like there is no question that a search giant, likely some a search giant that rhymes with swing, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> fair enough, or ring will will probably incorporate something like this into its service, right. And we will get a new type of algorithmic response from a search engine than what we have previously, which will feel very much like talking to an authoritative person who is thinking about what they're saying, while in reality, it's a machine learning algorithm that is providing BS that, is, that tends towards the truth, but only about 90%. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. That's a scary prospect. And then the other scary, uh, yet another scary prospect is over time, more and more of this content is being published. And if these algorithms are being trained on the content that's on the, that they find on the internet, then they will be increasingly trained on stuff that they've created. And that seems fraught in its own way.
2: Oh yeah. The, <laughs> the regression loop of, of, uh, AI training is, I mean, the, the the maybe the more disturbing part of that is you can already see that happening in people. Um, yeah. So if you uh, spend too much time on a social media app like TikTok, for example, like I do, <laughs> I spend way too much time on that app because <laughs> I just found it fascinating. What you'll see is there's this very strong tendency for people to start out being like, hey, I'm just going to join this app and post random content about the squirrel in the tree. And then over time, they'll see that certain types of content gets way more engagement than other types of content. So they start forming their content, shaping their content to fit these molds, right? And the molds are generated by uh, by algorithms. And the algorithm's only purpose is to expose people to more content to generate more income from ads, right? So what happens over time is, if a creator is successful in some format, other creators will see the success of that format and will try to emulate it. And then you get this trend happening where more and more content gets shaped and sized and fit into this particular shape and size and fit, because that's what the algorithm says is what generates, right? So now you have a feedback loop. You have human beings generating content to please the algorithm. The algorithm feeds them the content that the people are making, and then you just get a loop. Right. Sure. And it becomes more and more pervasive to the point where, like, you notice that all the YouTubers have these giant condenser microphones now. There's no good reason for anyone to have a giant condenser microphone. There are better microphones in the world that don't have these giant monster things. But that has become an aesthetic that you need to have if you are going to be perceived as professional. And Mm -hmm. the algorithm knows this. So the algorithm will promote you based on the presence of a giant microphone in the picture, right? Now take that. And say, people will start generating content using an AI because the AI can tell them these types of things are popular. So they will then start generating content based on input from the AI. They put that content into the world. That content matches with the parameters for the advertising AI. So that will then get boosted. The AI will then be trained on this data that is human created, but AI prompted and that will train the AI back to just make this more and more tight spiral of content. Right? So that's not even the AI training itself. Cause I think the AI training itself might be solvable in that you can, like they're working on figuring out how to fingerprint AI output so that the AI will recognize, Hey, this was output by an AI. Wow. But the second you have a human being using the output of an AI as the starting point for something. And then shaping their content to match the advertising algorithm to get more engagement and earn more money, then you're bypassing any filter, uh, any fingerprinting, and you'll s- still get this accelerated spiral. Right? So the gonna... real solution here is we need to get rid of the advertising AIs because they're the ones that will cause this loop to happen. Okay. But that requires a restructuring of the financial system of the entire internet.
1: Right? Yeah, that's not going to happen. It's just this kind of AI inbreeding yeah. kind of thing that you know is, is that we're at risk of. Wow. So to wrap up, I mean, the average point and click radio listener who's listening to this and maybe intrigued with these tools and and playing with them, or maybe somebody who's already more advanced and, and immersed in them more, what, what can society do? What can we as individuals do to attempt to, um, enforce some degree of ethics in the application of this stuff the uh, kind of a reality check of what they're capable of what they are and aren't um you know how, how should we think how should we be thinking about this
2: if we don't talk about the future the future becomes something that happens to us designed by other people that's the simple answer we as a society don't talk about the future we generally just observe the future being constructed by rich corporations or people with grand ideas who have backing of VC companies. We need to get back to having conversations at our dinner tables, in our houses of worship or houses of hanging out or bowling alleys or parking lots or whatever you may find yourself among other human beings about what futures we want to build for ourselves and for the people around us. Because none of this thing, there's no such thing as inevitable technology. There's no such thing as inevitable use of technology, inevitable things that may that will happen because of technology. There's only human beings using technology either passively, the way that we've been instructed to use them by the people who make money off our use, or actively in hey, this thing can be helpful for me in my job. And I think we're at this very small inflection point, like a huge inflection point, but we have a very small runway here where we now have full access to these AI type things that are giving us the capabilities and the tools and the materials to do things that we previously were not able to do. And there are people in our space that are very powerful that are trying to figure out how can we make the most money out of this in the quickest way possible. And there are company heads and CEOs all over the world who are sitting there going, can I use this to pay less money for human beings in my office? Our job then as normal people who don't have that power is to sit down each individually and try these tools and figure out how do they fit into my life and how can I add value to my life through these things? What can I make it do that will somehow alleviate some pain point in my life and how can i use this in an in a progressive way to improve my life without it becoming either an addiction or a crutch or something that uh, in some way either harms me or someone in my someone in my surroundings right mm-hmm. um and i i almost want to go all the way back to like immanuel Kant on this and say like we should do things in such a way that we use other people not merely as as means, but also as ends. Right. Mm-hmm. That we need to approach everything we do not only as if I do this, then I get a leg up on my coworker to an increased salary or whatever, but actually think like, how can I use this tool to make my work easier so that I can focus on doing things that are more important, use my humanness, my human brain for something more meaningful to me and to the people I work for and grow a better community, a better family, a better society out of that. Talk about the future.
1: Talk about the future. Well, thank you so much for sharing the insights as always um, and uh, and for the time. Thank you for having me. You can keep track of Morton Rand Hendrickson's online doings and other activities by going to his website, more10, that's M-O-R-1-0, more10.com.
0: Artificial intelligence, what do you think? Yeah, very, very interesting. You know, I think one of the things is important to remember is that artificial intelligence is just that, artificial. Yeah. It is not intelligent. It is not thinking. It's really more of a marketing term than anything. That doesn't mean these tools aren't
1: really amazing and really cool and significant and bring with them a lot of potential baggage. We will be covering them and related issues, as we always do in future installments of Point and Click Radio. But for now, that's going to wrap up this edition. Toby, a pleasure, as always. So nice to be here tonight, Jim. (laughs) The power's on. How could it not be? Delightful. (laughs) We will be back with more of this madness in two weeks. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, stay dry, and uh, and keep an eye on the weather apps.